Today's teaching text comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when they rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I just want to begin by saying a huge thank you to everyone for the incredible generosity you showed throughout all of 2020, uh, and especially at the end of such a very difficult year. Uh, I am so thrilled to announce to celebrate that we surpassed our Christmas offering goal um, in such a beautiful way. Uh, and it's amazing. And like every year, we're, we're going to leave it open through the end of January. Um, and we could easily get over 100K to this offering. And it's just so beautiful. Those resources are, are going to do so much tangible good this year. Uh, meeting the needs of our, of our neighbors, uh, supporting our partners on the front lines of serving the most vulnerable in, in New York City, uh, responding uh, with, with love, with generosity, with tangible action, with whatever this year happens to throw at us. And so truly, I, I can't say it enough, thank you so much. Um, and also huge thanks to Timothy Nathaniel Cox, uh, for, for getting behind the scenes in the Christmas offering this year and finding that hard truth. Um, your sweater collection is unparalleled, my friend. Um, today is the first Sunday of Epiphany. Uh, a beautiful, a beautiful day. Uh, Epiphany uh, begs the question, uh, if Christmas has happened, if Jesus has been born, now what? 
how, how, do, how do we respond? Uh, it's a season in, in the church where across the ages um, and, and across the world, uh, we, we come together to ask, how do we deal with the significance of God coming to us as a person? What, uh, if you want to say it this way, what are the implications of the incarnation? So one of the prevailing narratives of, of, of Epiphany is, is the story uh, that we just read of the visit of the Magi to find Jesus, of uh, the reaction of King Herod and all that falls out from that. There's a lot in there we're going to get into. But our plan, just so you know, for, for Epiphany uh, Sunday and the five remaining weeks until Lent is to look at what does it mean to encounter God in the way God chooses to be revealed to us? What does it mean to encounter God's presence? Um, we're going to begin and end with Jesus, uh, these two scenes from his early life, one of those today. But in between, we're also going to look back through the scriptures at uh, these different moments when God's presence has been revealed in, in unexpected ways and in all manner of circumstances. So what does it mean to encounter the presence of God? Uh, there's very little I can think of as being more important than that to begin our year on together, encountering the presence of God. I think I want you to consider this, but I, I believe I have a conviction that perhaps the most important issue in your life this year is how will you respond to the revelation of God's presence? How will you respond to how God is revealed to you? Or, or how will you seek to encounter God's presence? Um, in just the stories we're going to look at it in, in these few weeks in this Epiphany series, God shows up as a baby, as a burning bush, uh, to a woman who can't have a baby, who's accused of being drunk at church, uh, to a, a man who's, who's, who's praying and grieving the death of a king. He shows up in a gentle whisper on a mountainside. Uh, all these different ways that God chooses to be revealed and to speak to us. And, and just in our story today, God directs through a star. He directs through a dream, through an ancient prophecy. Um, he gives protection from this paranoid ruler that we encounter in the story. But he's revealed most clearly through a toddler who's been born in poverty and who has to actually flee home as an immigrant. So, I hope it's a comfort to you to know that God speaks, that God can speak to you, that you're not some class of, of citizen in the universe that God can't reach. And God speaks to us in many ways, and there's these foundational ways. God speaks through the Scripture, through His Holy Spirit, through through other other believers, through through our friends. He speaks in worship. Some of you, uh, God will come to you as you as you create, as you, as you work. Some of you have met God um, even last year or this year so far in grief. Um, God shows up in our dismay. God sometimes shows up in our celebration. And one of the many messages of, of Epiphany, one of the reasons this season is so important, is, is that it says we can grow a lot in how we respond today to the revelation of God's presence by looking back at how generations before us have encountered the presence of God and, and responded to it and shaped and reoriented their lives around that revelation. So I want to say this again, just so it's abundantly clear. I think, I have a conviction that perhaps the most important issue in your life this year is how are you going to respond to the revelation of God? How will you seek to encounter the presence of God? 
So we, we read this text, the basic arc of the story we have today, it's pretty easy to follow. Um, when Jesus was born, there was a, a, a ruler named Herod who was king at the time. Uh, Magi, who we sometimes call the wise men, um, saw this astrological phenomenon, um, this unique star or convergence of planets, um, uh, may have been visible in Brooklyn a, a few weeks ago, um, but uh, they had been looking for this and they came in search of a child um, whose birth they had believed had you know had been promised. When they arrived, they go where you would go. They go to the palace, um, thinking that's the natural place to begin looking for the birth of a king, a royal birth. You, you go, you go to the palace. There, they encounter a paranoid ruler who is terrified of losing power. He puts pressure on religious leaders. He puts pressure on political leaders. He lies about his motives. He tries to co coerce other people to his aims. Um, he seems to be willing to do whatever he can to keep power, even if it costs lives and put, uh, puts others in danger. Now, I'm going to pause right there for just a second uh, to say this passage was chosen well before uh, the events of the Capitol this week. And uh, I just want you to know that this is the, this is the epiphany story. Um, and I hope this is also known, but I want, I want to say it, that you are so, so welcome at Trinity Grace Church, even if you hold different political beliefs than me or some of our other leaders or anyone in, in, in our church. We are, we are here to rally around to hear from the person of Jesus, the presence of God, be led by the Holy Spirit. My, my most sincere hope is that you can encounter God here, that, that you can come to hear and respond to the incredible invitation of Jesus's love. Um, but, but I have another hope as well. And that, and that is that, um, that our deepest allegiance would be to Christ and to his kingdom, that we would pray with our very lives that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that that will mean there are times when we see our leaders making moral blunders that we have to speak up, that, that something needs to be, to be said. And I think that, um, that, that, that's, totally a normal part of following Jesus in a culture like ours. Now, a couple of things need to be said right alongside that. One is we don't expect the wider culture uh, to conform to the ways of Jesus. That isn't our ultimate hope. Like we we, we know that there's a, there's a different way of life that someone who's following Jesus is, is meant to live. And we're not expecting the wider culture to conform to that. Two, uh, we have we have heard and taken seriously uh, Jesus' instructions about about removing the plank from our own eyes before we try to go after the speck in, in another. We have to say, God, what do you want to do in me? How do how do I need to change? How am I not seeing this correctly? Three, we know we know we need grace and forgiveness in our own lives, and obviously those two things are connected. Um, and then we also know that that. Uh, uh, deeply and from experience that Jesus calls us to love as the primary expression of our life. They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another and even by how you love 
your enemies. So with those things in mind, I just want to say there's still times where we need to acknowledge certain things as evil and we need to call them out as such and, and say, this is just a reality. This is this is contrary to the way of, uh, of Jesus. And so uh, I, I want to say unequivocally, uh, raising a cross and evoking the name of Jesus while you violently storm our nation's halls of government and threaten its leaders and its democracy is taking the Lord's name in vain, at the very least. Um, It is blasphemous. Uh, Secondly, an attempt to overthrow the results of an election that's been upheld in 70 separate court rulings because of internet conspiracy theories is not wisdom, is not patriotism. Leaders who allow and perpetuate these types of deceptions, even to the point of fomenting violence, should be held accountable for, for what, for what they've done. Uh, and also, the staggering discrepancy, uh, between the treatment of this majority, uh, white group that stormed the Capitol this week and the ongoing treatment, uh, of those who've been protesting for the rights of our black and brown neighbors, uh, is evidence of wickedness. It is, uh, evidence of an idolatry, of a deeply rooted, uh, white supremacy that America must repent from. So, please, please, please know, uh, this is not a blanket endorsement of either of America's two political parties at all. This is, this is me trying to insist, which I believe my ordination as a pastor calls me to do, that there is a difference between the way of Jesus and the way of Herod and all the different expressions we see of those two ways. Epiphany is a call to encounter Jesus. It's a call to choose the way of Jesus. So I just want to say, listen, if you think our church is getting too political, you might be right. And I want to say, still, I hope you will stay and encounter Jesus with me. Uh, my, my, my hope as, as one of the pastors here is to take seriously um, where, where Jesus calls, uh, where, where, where Jesus' call to follow him intersects um, and impacts our real world, not just the idea space of our devotional lives, not just, not just the Sunday morning space of, of singing songs of devotion. I, I, I want to find what it means to follow Jesus in the real spaces of our life. And of course, that's going to have some intersection with, with the politics or the shared life uh, of our communities. But even if you fundamentally disagree with me, I hope you will stay and encounter Jesus with me because it is in the presence of Jesus. It is in the, in the presence of his incredible love. It is in the revelation of God's presence that we are transformed. So if you are hearing me today and you're thinking, oh, here we go again. Why does he so have a problem with this mess at the Capitol and not abortion or our increasing selfishness of how we approach sexual ethics or, or, or how tax rates affect small businesses and families? And I want you to know that I do care about those things. And I hope you will stay and encounter Jesus with me that we can do this together. And if you're listening to me and you're thinking, that here we go again, he hasn't gone far enough. He hasn't gone far enough yet in calling out the violence or calling out the racism or the blind nationalism or the white supremacy or how we've forgotten the poor. You know what? You might be right as well. And I hope you will stay and encounter Jesus with me. If this toddler that these magi come to visit 
is God incarnate, the Word made flesh. That changes everything. If Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and we are going to worship him in spirit and in truth, then we may need to develop a theology of conspiracy theories. Uh, and, and I hope that you will stay and encounter Jesus with me. Uh, the gospel and the call of Jesus, um, the call of Jesus to follow him and surrender our whole lives, that is going to be offensive to all of us at some point. It's going to require humility from all of us at many points, almost daily. I hope you will stay and encounter Jesus with me. So back to our story. Herod was disturbed when he heard there was a threat to his power. He was disturbed to hear a child might have been born that was called King of the Jews. Uh, He finds out about the prophecy from those around him. He asks the Magi to let let him know where the baby uh, is is so he can come and worship. And then after that, the text says in in verse 9, After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Herod gives us a picture of a man who is rattled by the presence of Jesus. The Magi show us what worship looks like. Herod shows us what it looks like to cling to control and to to use power in a selfish way, even in a tremendously, horrifically evil and violent way, to satisfy our ego and agenda. The Magi show us what beautiful surrender looks like. Herod shows us the far reaches of fear. The Magi show us the long payoffs of love and faith. Herod misses Jesus right under his nose, and the Magi encounter him against all odds from all the way across the world. Perhaps the most important issue in your life this year is how will you respond to the revelation of God? How will you encounter the presence of God? How will that shape your life? Here is God in this two-year-old Jesus. So I don't want to bore you with too much history here, but I want to just quickly sketch out how Herod and the Magi come to meet one another in the scenes of this story. So first, uh, Herod, and we're going to go way back and then fly forward. So um, after Alexander the Great conquered the, the known world uh, and then you know got drunk and died at 33, his empire was split up amongst his generals. And eventually one of those generals and, and the sort of ruling dynasty that came from them was called the Seleucids. And they were the ones who ended up with control of the region of Israel. And not long after they came into control and were ruling over the Jewish people, they had this horrific um, ruler who took Alexander's idea that the whole wor- world should be given Greek culture to this like furthest extreme violent um, place. And um, I-, I mentioned him because his name was Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was trying to violently root out all of Jewish culture from the Jewish people. Um, he-, he famously sacrificed a pig 
uh, in the holy place of the temple, which is called the abomination of desecration. And this um, eventually, uh, the way he was leading in this uh, abomination of desecration was too much. And the, it led to a revolt, which was called the Hasbani, uh, sorry, the Maccabean Revolt. And um, these, these, these raiders, these sort of guerrilla warfare style Jewish leaders were able to drive out um, these, these foreign rulers. And for a time, for a hundred years, the Jewish people were ruling themselves. This was called the Hasmonean uh, dynasty. And they even expanded and conquered some of their neighbors during this hundred year Hasmonean dynasty. And, and one of the regions the Hasmoneans conquered was Edom. Uh, and this is where, I mentioned this because this is where Herod's family was from. Herod was an Edomite. So one of the Hasmoneans in a, in a power struggle for who was going to rule, right? Even after they had violently overthrown their oppressors, there was still power struggles for who was going to be in charge. Um, one of these Hasmoneans ru- rulers made a deal with Herod's father to try and solidify his claim to power. And they appealed to Rome for help. And Rome said, yes, as a matter of fact, we would love to help you. We're going to, in fact, take over the whole thing and we'll put you guys in, in charge as our sort of representatives. Um, so uh, they, they, they backed these uh, local rulers with, with Roman power. And Herod's dad gives his 20, 20-year-old son Herod the region of Galilee. Well, Herod takes to his rule and the backing of this Roman power with absolute gusto, and he begins to expand. Um, he ruthlessly squashes any resistance uh, to his, his rule. Um, he has Rome uh, give a proclamation that he is the king of the Jews, which is why that title uh, evokes such a strong reaction to him in this story. Um, and he begins this violent conquest. He has to actually take back Jerusalem, um, and he does so through a long uh, and violent siege. Um, he, he, he drowns the high priest. Um, he, he becomes incredibly paranoid. He kills thousands of his subjects, many of which on a whim. Um, he kills his own children. At one point, he has 45 of the 70 members of the Sanhedrin killed. Um, and I don't mean to spoil his life story, but he eventually contract, uh, contracts an STD and rots alive from the inside. So not the prettiest end uh, for Herod. But before that, uh, he runs into these wild foreigners who, who have come from the east, and they tell this paranoid King Herod that they have come to find and worship the king of the Jews. So the Magi, uh, what do we know about them? We're a tiny bit less less certain. Uh, there's some mystery around them, but there's some significantly uh, significant scholarly backing to, to what I'm going to tell you about the Magi. They were an ancient priesthood of the Medes, and I know that means a ton to all of you. Um, they, were, they were the supreme priestly caste of the Persian, Persian Empire. To bring this home, um, if you remember the prophet Daniel, he was given the title of chief Magi by King Darius, and that was a really big deal because that title is supposed to pass by birth to the next person. And so when it was given to this, um, you know, like person who had been brought in, who'd been captive and brought into the Babylonian empire, uh, it it, it was a really big deal. And so people got jealous and that's where the whole lion's den story takes place. But Daniel, um, was given the title of chief magi. Daniel prophesied the coming of Messiah, the coming of, of Israel's Messiah. And he told this secret sect of the magi to look for his star. So by the time we get to the events of, of this story that we're looking at um, in Matthew's gospel, the, the Parthians, 
uh, again, I know you, you care so much about the Parthians, they were giving Rome many headaches, and, and several Roman invasions of that area had been repelled and prompted uh, subsequent retaliation. This ruler, Phraates IV, with a Parthian ruler, was not very popular. He was getting old. It was evident that his time was about to be over. And the Magi were involved in choosing his successor. So this picture that we sometimes have of just like three guys on donkeys who well, they got a little chest, maybe they got a leather-bound journal for Jesus, like they show up in the nativity scene. That's not exactly accurate of probably what was happening here. We're, we're more than likely talking about many more than three, three, three guys. Um, they, they certainly would have traveled with an entourage, uh, with, with, with the pomp of a royal procession, more than likely a heavy guard for their valuables and to make a statement that they are a part of the power structure that installs the ruler and kings um, in, in, in the region. So when they show up with this pomp and circumstance and ask, who has been born king of the Jews? This is a pretty direct insult to Herod, and more than an insult, it's a threat. They come bearing expensive gifts, but no gifts at all are mentioned for Herod. And so right away you can see where a lot of the tension uh, would have come from. And so right off the pages of this quaint little description of the wise men coming to visit Jesus in Matthew 12, we have the threat of war, we have political intrigue, we have fighting for power, we have violence, we have uh, uh, trying to build a massive tax base, um, we have building projects, which Herod was, was famous for, um, we have rival claims to power, we have these different sources of authority, and we have God showing up as a two-year-old, and all that. How are you hoping God will show up in your life? I want to say it might not be what you expect, but in the long run, it might be better than you expect. Jesus' family is is going to have to flee from Herod. Uh, But eventually, this this two-year-old Jesus is going to make a family through his love and salvation that is going to outlast all rulers, that is going to have the final word. The way of Jesus in this story, it looks a little bit absurd in the face of all of the power and all the forces that are in control. A a, a two-year-old poor immigrant running for his life from a paranoid, ego-driven ruler. And yet we know from history that Herod is going to rot from the inside. And Jesus said, all who believe in him will have rivers of living water flow from within them. What a, what a contrast. We, we have to receive this invitation that this story gives us, not to just be prisoners of the moment, not just to be prisoners of the way things look in these exact current circumstances. And the Magi show us another way. I want to just give a couple of implications that I think are right on the surface of the story. The first is, when Jesus comes, there will be a shakeup. 
When Jesus shows up, uh, and this is true then in, in the historical moment that we're looking at in Matthew's gospel, and I think it's true now when, when the presence of Jesus, when the speaking voice of Christ, when the invitation comes through the gospel, comes, comes through the account of the gospels, comes through a friend, comes through a worship song, comes through this crazy convergence of circumstances in your life, we're like, I think God's trying to say something to me. When Jesus shows up, there will be a shake up. It, it, it very rarely leaves things the same. The the uh, I remember a, a, a pastor friend sharing this with me years ago that the um, the Hebrew word for the glory of God is kabod, and it's basically like a weight. When God's presence shows up, it shakes the foundations. It's like, it's like it's like a, a, a weight. We're gonna look at Isaiah having an encounter with the glory of God later on in Epiphany. But when Jesus shows up, when God shows up, there will be a shakeup. And what that usually looks like is an invitation where we have to decide: Are we going to surrender, or are we going to fight for control? Will we go with the way God is leading us? Will, will we surrender to his love and the invitation of his love? Or will we insist on our way? Will we insist on our ego? Will we insist that we're not sure we can count on God to really meet the needs of our, of our world, the needs of our life, the needs of our society? We're going to have to do that on our own. So when Jesus comes, when God's presence shows up, there's often a shakeup. And we have to decide, will we surrender or will we fight for control? The other thing that's right off the surface of this is that God speaks. And if you're trying to pin down exactly and only how God speaks, it's a little bit difficult because we have prophecies. Uh, we have scripture quoted that Jesus seems to be fulfilling from hundreds of years before. We have these generational instructions that this captured guy, Daniel, who was brought to this other part of the world and, and lived basically as a slave and yet gained influence and eventually sows these generational instructions into this priestly caste in this foreign, foreign land. And that's why they come looking for this star. We have them being warned in a dream not to go home in the same way. And then we have in the most profound revelation, the word made flesh, God, Yahweh, who shook Mount Sinai, who led the people out of slavery in Egypt, coming through weakness and poverty as a toddler who has to flee as an immigrant, as a refugee to Egypt. God speaks, but not always exactly neatly like we would expect. God speaks. What a powerful, beautiful thing. We also get a picture of true worship in this story. This, the, the elements of it are sort of laid out in, 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 in how you see the Magi respond to Jesus. They, they first encounter Jesus for all their searching, right? Think about the... It probably took about two years for them to travel to, 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 this, to this point, to get to where they meet Jesus. Think about how many moments or days or cold nights on that journey where they begin to second guess and say, was this worth it? Are we, are we, how long ago did this, uh, did, did people start talking about the possibility of this Messiah being born, the star showing up? Like how many times did they second guess? And eventually, finally, what would it have been like to walk in and encounter Jesus. We don't know fully how, you know, like did the hair on the back of their neck stand up with their physical sensations. Did they sense the presence of God? Like were they in utter awe, but they encountered Jesus and their response tells us a little bit about what it was like because they bowed down for all of their power, for all of their influence, for all of their right to, to name who's going to be the king and the ruler in the region. Um, they bow down. They respond in humility 
to this toddler, to this Christ child. Encounter, bowing down, humbling ourselves, and then offering gifts. They offer what they have. And this is a part of true worship. They give deeply of what they have. And they bring these famous gifts, gold that was fit for a king. It was the, it was the appropriate gift you gave to a king, frankincense, which was a gift for a priest. And so even in the gifts is representative that this, this toddler is, is, is going to be a king, but is also going to be a priest. He's a ruler, but he's also one who makes atonement, who, who prays for us, who offers for us forgiveness, who mediates our connection with, with, with God. He's a king, he's a priest. And then bizarrely, they, they give him myrrh, which was for anointing for burial. And so there's the shadow of even the cross over this early scene in Jesus's life. Encounter, bow down, offer their gifts, and then they accept. They accept new direction. They accept not going back the way they were originally planning to because God speaks to them. I want to say in 2021, we're going to worship in song. I hope there'll be a day where we worship in song together as a church. When it's safe, I hope that happens this year. I'm praying for that. We don't know all that this year is going to to hold. But I want to ask you as well, will you worship by letting Jesus be the Lord of your time, (laughs) of, of the daily details of your life, of your finances, of of what you spend money on, of what you plan to spend money on, of your sexuality, of what you do with the deep longings of your body, of, 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 of your internet browsing habits, of the food that you eat, of how you spend your days off. These also are what it is to worship. Romans 12 gives us such a more robust picture than we sometimes hold in our heart of what worship is. Worship is not one section of the worship service where we do the singing. Worship is our lives. And the Magi show us this. It's encountering God. It's humbling ourselves. It's bowing down. It's offering all that we have to our God. It's accepting direction and following that direction. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When Jesus comes, there will be a shakeup. We have to decide will we surrender to love or fight for our own control? This passage tells us that God speaks. God speaks. And we have an opportunity to respond. And one of those responses is worship. Encountering Him, bowing down, offering our gifts, accepting new direction. Ultimately, this story asks us uh, to decide what we're going to do when Jesus shows up and is outside of our expectations or outside of our comfort level. Like, is, is, is the Jesus I want the American Sunday school version that I was raised with that fits nicely on the felt board and doesn't confront me? Or uh, is the Jesus that I have, this, this brown-skinned, poor immigrant, um, who, who, who flees to, 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 to Egypt, but ultimately comes to confront the existing power structures of my heart, of my pride, of our politics, of real life, of our community. This Jesus steps in and shakes things up. But I have the most firm conviction of my heart is that Jesus is better than you can possibly imagine. That even if it's unexpected, even if it's surprising, even if we have to not just be prisoners of the moment and look look, look beyond, that Jesus is better than we can possibly imagine. Jesus might often surprise us, 
But Jesus invites us to a place of worship uh, as an invitation of, of love. God, God's not needing us to worship him because God's vain and needs to be praised. God's saying, listen, if you'll put this, my, my love, my relationship with me at the center of your life, then everything else will find its proper place. Seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's because if you substitute anything else in the center place of your heart, in the center place of your soul, it will crack and break your life. <laughs> the world is not wise enough to lead you into abundant life. The God who made you and has come to us in the person of Jesus is saying, I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full. Jesus is better than you can possibly imagine. He might surprise us, but he's inviting us to worship from a place of love. He is willing, he is willing to confront what seems to be most powerful in this present moment for the reality of his kingdom of salvation being established. So Epiphany Church asks, now what? How do we, how do we live? Will we encounter, will we bow down, will we offer our gifts? Are we willing to accept new direction this year. I hope that we are. It will be worth it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I ask that everyone who is listening would have an encounter with your presence. I pray that the Spirit, the person of Jesus, would speak to us so powerfully this morning in the specific places where our hearts and minds are, in the specific convergence of circumstances that we're wrestling with, in this specific political moment of our nation. Would you, would you come to us? Would you shake things up? Would you confront us with your love? Would you invite us to worship? Show each of us by the power of your Holy Spirit how we are meant to respond in faith and love. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.